Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, where I speak to musicians and artists about their survival. And it's been a busy week. A couple of days ago, I announced a 35-page illustrated hardback book 
featuring excerpts and stories from my first 101 episodes, including Tim Burgess, Marika Hackman, Thurston Moore, Matt Sharp, Izzy B. Phillips from Black Honey, and a whole lot more. If you go on to 101parttimejobs.com, you can have a look at the cover and some of the screenshots from what's inside. And if you'd like to, you can purchase it. That's 101parttimejobs.com for that. It's $12.99, free postage inside the UK. It's a pleasure to welcome an absolute legend to the show, Craig Finn from The Hold Steady. Their new album, Open Door Policy, is out now. It's absolutely incredible. And as Craig says later in this episode, there's something really special about it. And I think you can hear that. East London Signature Brew have been brewing beers with bands since 2011. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, Sports Team, as well as Craig Finn. And if you go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, you can get beers delivered directly to your door if you live in the UK. And with the voucher code 101podcast, all capital letters, you can get 10% off that order. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your continued support. I've had some really lovely messages about the book and about getting to 101 episodes. Shout out especially to Callum Smith, you absolute legend. It's an absolute pleasure to share this episode with Craig Finn with you all. Cheers again for listening. Go well. The, you know, I started this show a couple of years ago with kind of the loose concept of getting my friends who are in touring bands to archive the jobs they've had between tours and you know I, I kept on doing these these interviews and realized that I think there is a whole aspect of of surviving as an artist my mum's an author she's always had side jobs you know they're always mm-hmm. literate literature classes in our in our kitchen and everything and my journey with getting into the whole study was you know getting into a few albums then learning about lifter puller and you know going backwards in time and mm-hmm. you know, with you you quickly realized that you know, you had a whole life before the Hold Steady <laughs> even started. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I don't, we didn't start the Hold Steady till I was probably 31, I guess. Wow. And uh, so absolutely. And uh, the Hold Steady um, happened quickly in some respects, but the rest of it didn't happen very quickly at all. When you started the Hold Steady, I mean, you being a financial broker, is that right? Yeah. So, you know, and it's funny when I, you know, read a little bit about the podcast and hear you talk about it, you know, I haven't had a ton of part-time jobs, but I've had a, like a fair amount of full-time jobs. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, and the, the financial thing goes back and that's probably the most interesting job I had. Um, so when I was in Lifter Polar, um, I was trying to start the band. And at the same time, I was just out of college and I was trying to figure out what to do. And I, I got a job, um, you know, my, my dad recommended me to someone he knew. And um, I got a job at, um, it was called IDS, Investment, Investment Investors Diversified Syndicate. And uh, no one outside of Minnesota knows IDS, but in, in Minneapolis, it's actually the tallest building in the town is the IDS building. And uh, so I got a job there. And at first it was kind of like, um, I was never a broker, but it was, what it was is, um kind of a call center um, at first and people would call and I was, uh, I entered a training program and they trained me for about six weeks on how to do this. And it was mainly learning their systems. And, um, and then uh, I got on the phones and, and people would call in, it would be their clients or uh, financial advisors from around the country and check on their annuities. Um, that's a financial product that I was uh, placed in. And, um, 
It was, you know, that part of it where I began was pretty much customer service um, with all of its ups and downs, but on the phone, you know, with a headset. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, and, and you know, taking, um, taking some amount of abuse. Um, right. Uh, Were you cold calling? Was it that, was it a kind of sales vibe? No, it was all incoming. So what it would be, uh, you know, a typical call would be like, hey, um, you know, I'm with my client. I've sold him this annuity, which is a, you know, retirement product mostly. Hmm. And um, we wanted to check on the balance. And I'd say, well, the balance is 43,000, whatever. And they'd say, okay, well, we want within the annuity, there were different, like almost like mutual funds within it. And so you'd say like, well, we want to go a little more aggressive with the savings. So we want to move it from the, you know, safe thing to the more aggressive thing. And we like, want to a st- like a like a shares thing, like a stock. Yeah, thing. yeah. Within the annuity, there'd be like uh, different funds, and they right. would have different objectives. So you'd move, um, you know, uh, say they'd say we want to put ten thousand in capital resources. That was that sticks in my brain. That was one of the big <laughs> funds within it, and right. uh, and you'd say that. Um, and what or um, and this is another thing. Um, I need to take some money from it. Um, I need $10,000. Okay. Well, you know what? You've only, there's a, if you take it out within seven years, there's a penalty, um, you know, a fee you have to pay to us. And that, that's something they either were not told or, or more likely forgot about. And that's sometimes when people weren't happy and, um, <laughs> you know, generally yeah. they needed the money quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that happens so, with ISAs, doesn't it? If you're trying to buy a house, you can only bring it out after, you know, when you're trying to buy a house. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I learned a lot about that. And, um, you know, um, and I was there for a bit and then culture, but culturally it was really interesting because so IDS, um, oh, and meanwhile, IDS got bought by, or, um, probably was bought before I started, but got rebranded, um, American express financial advisors. So it became part of American Express. Right. And um, so, but what was, there There was about 5,000 employees there. Um, Big so, thing. So yeah, it was one of the biggest employers in Minneapolis. And in that sense, it was like high school, you know? Um, there were cliques, you know. Bumping whatnot. into people you'd known. Bumping into people I'd known before, but also um, because, you know, my, my nighttime job <laughs> was or my nighttime you know my passion was trying to start this band being exposed to a lot of people i wouldn't have otherwise you know very very suburban people people that were coming in from kind of far out yeah people that weren't interested in staying around the city people who found the city dangerous you know when when it was kind of my home um and, you know, I would ride my bicycle to work every morning. Probably and, one know, of the few few doing that, right? Yeah, yeah. And people were, you know. But that said, I did meet some great friends there. Um, and there was, you know, there, you've seen the, probably seen the movie Office Space. But there was something like that. Um, I haven't there actually. Was, okay, well, it, it, it is a very generic office experience. You know, sure. I guess like The Office or, yeah. or um, something like that. But it's... Um, there was some of that and there was kind of sort of clickishness and uh, mm-hmm. there was these really great guys I used to hang out with, but they would go out. I didn't hang out with them that much outside of work, but um, they would go out and get like so wasted every night. And um, <laughs> in the morning uh, they would rate their hangovers. Like it was right. like a one through six or something. And that was kind of part of the culture, you know, getting like almost flashing the cash in a way. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I remember that I can't remember all the uh, delineations of of the hangovers, but I remember the top level. I think it was a level a level six meant you threw up at work. Oh, that's that's tough. That yeah, is so tough. That was the <laughs> highest level. Level six was cause for ooh. Have you um, ever done that? Have you ever puked up the next day at work? I think once. Yeah, I think I hit level six once. Um, Do you know? I find the puking's not actually bad in itself. It's that it's the headache that follows it. It's uh, sometimes it's a huge relief, mm. you know. Mm. I remember one once. I I don't know if I puked to work. I do remember like one time saying I had to leave, and uh, then getting all the way home and like like I I like literally made it just into my apartment. So whatever I asked to leave, it was exactly perfect time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was kind of amazing, but yeah. So so I stayed around there. But then this interesting what happened from there. And I was there a total of six years at Amex. But what happened next was, um, so there was this drive to um, get everyone a Series Seven and a, a Series or a Series Six. Basically, there are these um, exams you take, and you need to pass them to trade stocks. Hmm. Um, and obviously, if you could pass, the more you could pass, the more um, the more money you could make. And, um, so I started studying for the series. Well, I passed, no, I think if you took the series seven, you, you didn't need to take the series six and people were really stressed out about the series six, but the series seven was the harder one. Um, and that allowed you to trade. And, um, so I went after the series seven and it's not really a hard exam, but it's tedious. Like you have to, you have to put in the time, you know, mm -hmm. um, few months of studying probably. And, you have to learn all the concepts. So I passed that. And um, my, my idea was that that was going to make me kind of indispensable mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because they didn't have enough people who could pass that exam. And um, when, when I passed that, I moved into a different department, which was um, kind of more sophisticated. It was wealth management. And um, I was a portfolio associate. And that was a little less phones um, and a little higher end client. Um, and did you self-reflect as a, did you kind of, was your kind of identity kind of, you know, lifted or something like that when you got that raise? <laughs> well, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I knew I could pass this exam. I mean, I, you know, I knew that I'd, I'd been a decent student and whatnot. So mm. it was sort of like, I don't know why you guys are so, you know, uptight about this. I mean, you know, looking back, I think a lot of people had families and, you know, a lot of um, things holding them back that I didn't have. Yeah. But at the time I was rather cocky about it. Yeah. And how old were you at this point? Oh, so probably 20, between 22 and 28 when I worked there. So probably halfway through. So I was probably 25. And what was that kind of period of time where you kind of felt like you had to give yourself some stability or security or something like that? Well, I, I wanted, you know, I, I, it was like the pay wasn't great. So I wanted more money. Um, but I also just, I, I thought that as lifter puller started to tour more, I thought if I became more indispensable to them, I could ask for more time off. Great. <laughs> you know, good, and, good, uh, good logic. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, and so I moved up to wealth management and that was really cool. Like that was, um, in some way, a lot more humane. It was a better job and, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and less yelling. And, um, you basically, there were these guys upstairs that actually like traded the stuff, you know, um, or, or I would say made the decisions or analyzed it. So they would say like, we're going to, you know, for instance, we're going to sell 
50 shares of Coca-Cola in this client's account, and we're going to buy 50 shares of Pepsi. But I wouldn't know why they were doing that, but they'd call me and I'd actually do it. Um, wow. But I had no analysis experience, you know? It's a fair bit of responsibility though, still. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's why you had to pass the exam. And then, yeah, yeah. and then, uh, what I did from there is I, I, once I got kind of a little like, wow, that, that sort of changed my life, um, uh, for the better. In the sense you could save something. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and also like, it was a lot less like being yelled at. It was a lot less of right. a customer service job. Um, yeah. you know, it was a more pleasant work experience. And did that, did that free you up for lift puller in a way, you know, bit more money for, for, for recording costs or rehearsal spaces, everything that comes with that, but also the kind of the flexibility that comes with that. Yeah. And yes, exactly. And then also psychologically, I mean, um, the first place I was at, I would come home pretty beat down and, um, there was usually like, 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 um, especially the first, the first position I had, it was tax season, you know, when people's taxes were due and everyone needed their tax forms and all that. And so like you could see if you were on the, on the headset, um, you could see like people were waiting an hour and you were aware of that. So like, you know, you knew people weren't psyched when they got to you. And, um, so like when I got to the wealth management, it was no longer like there wasn't any kind of like weights on the phone. Your phone would ring and you'd pick it up and it was like a normal handset. It wasn't like a headset, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and uh, and people were polite. And, uh, you know, there was this great thing that happened um, that that I that I that is a great story um, that there was a guy upstairs. Uh, and he was one of the like actually guys who like decided what what to do, you know, mm-hmm. and uh and um, by this point, Lifter Puller was doing all right. It was like locally happening, you know, and there was this great uh, radio station called Radio K in town that was playing our record a lot. And one day I woke, I, I called and um, uh, I picked up the phone. I was like, Craig Finn. And this guy upstairs, uh, one of my superiors said, you know, do you follow local music at all? And I said, yeah, a little bit, you know, and he's like, there's a, there's a band called Lifter Puller and the lead singer has your same name. And he never expected it could be me. Um, no way. And I was like, that's me. And he was just quiet for a little bit. He was like, dude, you rock. <laughs> and then, that, that's yeah. brilliant. Fuck yeah. So did your, did your, I mean, did that help at work? Did that help in the workplace with that guy? Yeah, it helped with him and uh, it started to help. Like at first, it's funny because that my instinct was to keep it very quiet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. And then uh, I think people thought it was cool when it came out. Like I, I never expected that. I thought people would be suspicious. Like, oh, you're, you know. I feel like a lot of people would do that. You know, keep it quiet in the workplace because it kind of leaves yourself some kind of in some kind of vulnerable <laughs> sense, doesn't it? Yeah, but, or you just don't want to explain it. You know, yeah, people are like, yeah. you know, like they have strange questions that you can't really explain. Like, you know, like I remember like a friend of mine was saying like. His, at his work, they kept asking him about tours. Like, so you just drive around and go up to places and ask if you can play? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> you know, the, the short answer is we call them in advance. <laughs> so, I mean, your, your kind of self-worth must have gone up at that time as well. And, you know, I guess I, I, I would wanted to, I wanted to like circle around the kind of idea of, you know, you're working a full-time job, but also you're interested enough, you're hungry enough for the band, for Lifter Puller. You know, at, at what point do those two things 
converge or yeah i mean lifter puller started to do well um and you know we started to get opportunities to tour um uh more um mm. and i i went out actually i went out and got this uh, the next exam uh, at work was called the series 24 and you need x amount of people who can pass the series 24 bef- to manage the series 7 so i thought i was going to like again uh make myself safe by passing that but it really just became like look you can't you know you can't have this much time off or you can't you know like what what it it just wasn't going to work and i was i was not there was no even though the wealth management job was pretty good it wasn't the kind of job that would you know that, that you'd want to spend the rest of your life in or anything yeah, so yeah so it was like uh, it pretty easy and i i eventually said like i'm gonna just go on tour and i'll figure it out when i get back you know so you're and, pretty laissez-faire you're pretty relaxed about the thing yeah i knew that and also i tell you what there were people there that i could tell that you know 10 15 years could slip by pretty easily mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. there was almost like a strike against that you know like mm-hmm. like i this could be it you know or this yeah. could be the start of it and um and i'd saved money so i you know i'd saved right. enough money that it was it wasn't going to be like you know scary were you kind of turning up on time were you were you pretty good in that sense i was medium in that sense you know i was uh i was uh you know we were we, we'd fool around a little bit but I, I i got my work done i think i was um you know i, I took it seriously um I think the the mornings were always a little hard, you know, I was always kind of racing to work on my bicycle and, uh, you know, could, could be a little hungover because I was going out, I was seeing bands and all that. And lots going on in that town. I mean, living in that town, there must've, I mean, there's so much musical history there. Did you kind of feel, you know, galvanized by that in in your own sense to do it? Oh yeah. I mean, and it's funny cause, um, I started to plug into not just at my job, but a couple other music people that had like jobs downtown, you know, different, um, different things. Like, uh, one was a courier and one was, um, you know, a couple other, one, one person took care of the plants around and, uh, different offices. And, and so like, you know, I'd get, I'd meet up with them for lunch and stuff. So it, it became, you know, it's, it's not a huge town. So you could, you could connect with a lot of, a lot of band people. And when that job ended, I mean, do you remember your last day? And do you remember, you know, your uh, your kind of plans for the next few months in that time? I wanted, yeah, I went on, t- I think I quit, um, God, when did it, when? So I quit in early 2000, I believe. And uh, I went on tour, uh, Lifter Puller and Les Savi Fav, uh, went cool. on tour um, around the U S and then I think lifter puller went out West for our first West coast tour. And then we went back East. So we started to kind of pick up the touring, but that, that, that was also sort of the end of lifter puller. We kind of didn't, didn't mistake. Yeah. So, so, I mean, we, we taking those, I mean, even if they were your last few shows as lifter puller, were, were they quite well organized? Were you, did you kind of feel like, you know, we could break even on this tour. We could come home with a bit of rent. Was that even on the cards that kind of, professional yeah. aspect of it well it wasn't professional because i was booking the, the other thing i should mention is <laughs> there was a payphone downstairs in my office um in like you know i mean that that dates it right there but but <laughs> there was this this payphone in a um and i was booking all our tours on it so on my lunch break i'd go down there with a calling card and i'd call all these clubs and try to set up tours Brilliant. um and then i'd come back upstairs and 
And it was back then it was, it was a nightmare because, you know, the, the guy would say like, can I call you right back? And you say, no, actually you can't, I'm at a payphone." <laughs> yeah. And I actually, um, yeah. some years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I went to look at that payphone to see if it was still there. Um, and sort of was say it? like, that's no, no, there, there, there's no payphones anymore. I don't think, yeah. but they, there should be a plaque there for if lifter puller ever gets a plaque somewhere, it should be there because that's where the magic really happened. But I, so, so they weren't super professional, but we were kind of like hooking up with other bands. And I remember coming home with money. It, it, it was at the point where like, um, I think like, it, and I think this is what a lot of bands get to is before they have to quit their jobs is like, we could, we could live if we stay on the road, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of times people ask me like, when did you know you could quit your job? And I always say it's never, you, you become unemployable first. Um, right. And that, you know, and it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a kicker. Cause like, you know, you can do that. And then the other side of it, you know, I feel like so many bands break up because members, one, you know, members will just be like, look, I can't afford this anymore. Right. You know, and work. Um, so many great yeah. bands break up because of that. Yeah. I mean, it's tough too, because your twenties, I think are, I mean, I was in my twenties and you are sort of, I don't know. I, I, the twenties are tough because I don't think you're a fully formed human being mm-hmm. or you're sort of still figuring out your, your, you know, whether you're going to be a, I don't know, for lack of a better term, mainstream person or not, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and, or are you going to be like sort of someone who lives outside of, what is, you know, normal or acceptable. And, and there's certain amount of like consumerism or, you know, I mean, it, it, the later you get in your twenties, you might see your friends who have sort of straighter jobs start to get stuff. And if that's important to you, then that is going to, you know, that, that might make you stop being in a band. You know, for me, that wasn't very important, but I think a lot of people get hit with that. Is it also a case of, you know, taking yourself seriously enough? You know, being able to be like writing songs, being an artist, I actually do love enough to really push it. I think so. Definitely. I mean, I think that one thing, you know, I never went to art school or anything. And I always felt like people who went to art school or music school have the one advantage is they've already kind of internal, like made that decision internally that they're an artist or a musician. And I think in some ways that's the biggest thing because they don't question themselves as much. Mm-hmm. Um, where I was like, you know, it, it, it you know, I, I, I didn't have that identity fully formed and I was figuring it out. And that was sort of, that's maybe why I had my foot in two places during that period. Especially being from a punk rock and hardcore background, because, you know, this is before California punk rock made itself as a viable career option, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was no sense that, that there anyone was, I mean, I, I mean, it was post post Nirvana, but still like, you know, there wasn't any sense that, um, you know, uh, indie rock was going to pay a lot of bills. It was more like a lifestyle choice. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And then you said, and then you spent two years off. Is that right? 
Yeah, so I moved to New York at the end of that, um, and I uh, I didn't have a band, uh, and I didn't know what exactly. I was, so I'd gotten married, and um, uh, I'm not married anymore. But the the, the uh, um, I, I moved to New York, and I sort of didn't know. All I knew is that you know New York seemed like maybe I could merge something mm-hmm. that made me more happy than the work I'd been doing um, with with something that you know paid you know or something in a kind of bohemian more sense kind of an artist sense yeah so um and and you know the what the thing about uh lifter puller at the end i really didn't like um you know you join a band (laughs) to play music and then like if you're at that level you just really like start to learn about a lot of things automotive because your van's breaking (laughs) down all the time you know yeah yeah and it's this whole thing of like i don't really want to deal with the van i just want to like you know like so anyways i got this job they got um a friend of mine got me a job at a place called digital club network that was doing early webcasting and it was kind of in that first dot-com boom you know uh that's nuts uh, to think of it now right yeah well for one i mean the the technology we had was very um uh primitive um Mm -hmm. it was you know, not an enjoyable watching experience. Uh, it was kind of like watching a security cam. You know how like doorbell people have doorbell cameras yeah, now. It was yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like that. But um, you know, that's what we did, and we they had funding, and I did that for the best part of t- you know two years, two three years. What and, were you doing uh, there? Artist relations. So I was basically trying to get people. We had like a network of clubs. Say there was, I don't know, 25, 30 clubs. Hmm. And uh, I was assigned X amount of them. And uh, we'd go in and we'd try to um, uh, get them to agree to let us webcast their show. So I'd contact right. their manager or their... So it did It did kind of call on my um, some of the network I'd built. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Through Litzpilla. Yeah, and and as well as just knowing what what bands might be interested in, yeah. and how how to deal with people, and it was it was a great that was a great job. I mean, the people there are they're still, um, you know, the, it was a great job to move to New York with, and uh, everyone there was awesome. And you take the sound it, through the desk, would you? Would it sound all right? Yeah, uh, the sound was probably the better part of it, like that, and and probably yeah, the, the desk there was proprietary equipment so it was all like by remote um so it did depend on like the sound man in the room um sometimes they'd like forget to turn the camera on or whatever um but the sound (laughs) could be good yeah um i mean not not amazing but they had you know ambient mics and all that so yeah it would it would it could it could be good it was a much different because like it when i worked in amex like you know 5 p.m would roll around there'd be like a rush to the elevators and in dcn everyone would kind of stay late and then like it would kind of like sometimes just sort of morph into the evening. Like, you know, someone would get a six pack and start, you know, people would turn off their computers or switch over to play video games and just hang out. And uh, it was like, wow, like this is like way more humane as a work, as a work environment. And playing music wasn't even on your mind. Well, it start. I was, I kept writing songs um, and it started to be on my mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, first, first I tried to do, um, like, I was like, okay, well, I still want to make some music. So I tried to do a recording project with my friend and, uh, he had access to a studio or he was a part owner of a studio, but like, that was, that was unsatisfying. And also like, we were trying to do all the stuff that it ended up being like 
kind of inefficient, you know, like we were trying to do, like do a lot of stuff on the computer where it was like, man, if we had a drummer here, he could just play it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so we kind of got to, it, it just became like, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to start a band. And then, um, what happened, Tad from Lifter Puller, Tad had played bass in Lifter Puller, but he moved to New York in about 2002, I think. And he's a great guitar player. And I was like, you know, we should do something. And uh, yeah, we started out very, very minor um, ambitions, but it, it quickly kind of grew into something. And your psyche around then, were you pretty, you know, you still had an enthusiasm for for playing music because I can, I can just imagine I, you know I did it myself my touring band ended when I was 26 and I was like oh man, you know I just didn't have the energy for it I was very guarded um about it I mean we our first discussions about a quote-unquote band is that we weren't going to play live and we weren't <laughs> going to record like we were going to just drink beer in our space and play jams Great. and then we we're like oh we might as well record so we remember these songs and then we might as well play a show because someone asked us and you know went from there but i really didn't want to um do the uh the thing with uh you know again the automotive thing mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah they're the, like dealing with the van and one of the things when we signed a french kiss to put out our first two records they had like a label van um, great. which they would allow us to use for touring. And that That's was a like a good idea. It, it was a great idea. And it was a huge part of, um, we all, I mean, I also liked them, but, uh, you know, it was a real great thing because, mm-hmm. you know, parking a van in New York or even owning one is, is, is a nightmare. And that may mm-hmm. have been the difference between us going forward or not. Did, did you have, you know, did you, did your voice, did your, you know, your written voice, you know, what was going on internally, your story writing, your lyric writing, had, could you feel that that had developed, you know, after Lifter Pull had finished? Yeah, I think so. I was, um, I, I was, I kept writing and I was kind of, kind of like, um, developing more of the character based stuff. Um, and so that, that felt, uh, like it was happening. And, um, you know, the other thing about it all is, is that Lifter Puller, like when, after we broke up, it, it, it felt, I mean, the internet was around, but it sort of like moved differently back then. And mm-hmm. we started to get a lot of attention in the year after we broke up, you right, know, right. like I remember being in New York and one day just opening up the village voice and out of nowhere, for no reason, there was a pretty big article on lifter puller and it was like not timed for a show or a record release. It was just, and I'm like, what is this? Why? You know? So by the time the whole steady played, there were actually a fair amount of people at our first show for a first show. And I find it interesting that maybe it was a part of that that made you excited as well. But, you know, after after that, after Lifter Puller, you know, the fact that you had that enthusiasm, you know, I find that really interesting because as a band, naturally, you know, you're a collective and you you buzz off each other and you bounce ideas off of energy, bounce ideas and energy off each other. Yeah, I mean. I think the other thing though is that, yeah, and that all that is true. Um, we were also, you know, after a few years in New York, I'd really started to have build a very great social circle mm-hmm. and, uh, we were having a lot of fun just out in period, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think that there was some excitement about that, you know, just, right. just, just having a good time in and out of the band. Right. And uh, meeting cool people and meeting new people and really feeling like I found my place. And do you think that's part of being in your early 30s as well? Having a kind of a confidence and a maybe a, you know, were you quite relaxed in your generally? 
Absolutely. I think that that was the thing. Like the twenties were over and some of the, I don't know, I always felt a little bit desperate in my twenties. Um, mm-hmm. And I always felt like it was like there was a party going on that I wasn't invited to or I wasn't allowed in. And 30s, it felt like a lot more in control of my own life for whatever reason. Yeah. And being in New York, I mean, you know, being where where were you living? Brooklyn? Yeah. Yeah. So there's always something fun to do. Always something happening. Yeah. I mean, almost, you know, it's almost when I moved to New York, that was almost a a problem. You know, like I think I went out the first 30 nights and I said, this can't, (laughs) this can't, this can't like keep up. You know, you have to take, you're going to live here. You don't, you don't have to go to everything. Um, And do you think that's been a key part of Hold Steady then? That kind of initial feeling of like, yeah, fuck it. We're doing it for ourselves. I mean, obviously that's such a cliche, but you know, yeah, it is a cliche, but it's the, you know, a lot of cliches get that way because they're true. And that Mm. it's like the second we didn't care, like the second, like we were just sort of doing it for ourselves, Mm. then everyone loved it and everyone came around, you know? And I think there was, there was, I mean, we were really having a good time and, um, and I think people really reacted to that and it becomes contagious the ball started rolling then where you kind of, you were watching it from that point where you. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing about New York versus Minneapolis is, you know, if the press comes out to, to um, your show in Minneapolis, it might be like the local weekly or whatever, but if the press comes out to your show in New York, it's rolling stone. And so, you know, suddenly like, you know, suddenly things were kind of rolling, you know, um, uh, and by the time we put out our second record, they were really rolling and, and things were, um, you know, it was uh, once again, time to quit the job. And it was, and that responsibility of the band, I mean, did that take over in that sense? Cause 101 part-time jobs, there's that many jobs in, in being a band. Well, today, especially with the internet and marketing and some social media, whatever you want to call it, there's, there are a lot of bitty jobs there, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, luckily with the hold steady, we, we, uh, unlike lifter puller, we were able to get a real, you know, booking agent. So that came off my plate, but there was still answering email and, uh, we kind of divided up. Um, Tad was really good at, um, some of it. And like, he was, you know, very into, um, interested in the equipment and, and he's a good driver. So, um, you know, we, we, uh, everyone did their thing. Um, but yeah, there was there was a lot of that, and there was you know more and more of that as we got as as pe- more and more people started to care, and um, you know we got a manager by the third record, but the yeah. first two were 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 a lot on us. An album album a year, two thousand and four, five, and six, and then you know, boys and girls in two thousand and six. I mean, it looks like you know it's got that everything about that album is such a celebration. I mean, it, it really and it feels so authentic authentic in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think at that point we were really uh, celebrating what we had and what what we um, were being allowed to do. I mean, it are in a lot of people's minds we were too old, you know, or already mm-hmm. already past um, when things would happen. So after kind of you know, uh, even though lifter puller was enjoyable, somewhat of a struggle, uh, it was uh, kind of amazing to be like you know, driving around the country and playing sold out shows. And it, it felt like a celebration. You know, the, the age thing, I mean, uh, it must've been maybe frustrating if, if someone gave off that vibe, but you know, for, for me, that's such an empowering thing. Cause I think we're, we're so taught that, you know, popular music is a young person's game or some shit, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. We get a lot of, I remember, you know, cause I sort of monitor the email account 
at, at that time. Uh, and we get a lot of correspondence that was like, um, you know, of course the, 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 the standard is, is that, you, you know, band should be 21, but a lot of the correspondence that was coming in was more like, Hey, I've heard your record. I'm 35. I'm a graphic designer in Chicago. I haven't been to a show in five years. My wife and I got a babysitter for when you're coming next week. <laughs> we can't wait. And so there's this idea of people rooting for us. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I think um, that sort of started. Um, and also, I mean, we don't traditionally look like a rock and roll band. So I think there was the, that started uh, an idea of people kind of rooting for us, which kind of over the last, you know, 17 years or whatever, we've been a band has blossomed into this community of people around us that, that, that I think some of that energy starts there. And you know what, you know, people older than their twenties, they buy records and they come to shows, <laughs> they got money for it. <laughs> yeah. And you know, actually when we finally got over to England, which was early 2007, I found that, um, um, uh, even more so over there. I mean, I think mm -hmm. even it, it's even better for a older rock and roll fan. Um, some of the press, I think, writes well for for older um, fans there. And also, uh, I think honestly, we go on we we'd go on significantly earlier in England yeah, uh, yeah. than you know to go on at eight thirty or nine o'clock, where in the states you might be going on at ten ten thirty. Um, is the difference for a lot of people who have real jobs, etc. Was there a kind of a structure from the IBS, uh, not the IBS, IDS? And well, you know, was there a kind of structure in your life from that? And then the, the you know, the creative company in New York was, was there a kind of structure in your life that, you know, you relinquished or, or did you keep that going in, in your life, you know, with, with the whole study? I relinquished it for a little bit. And then I kind of brought as things, there was a point right around boys and girls um, that I was like, oh, wow, we're going to get to keep at first I was like you know they're gonna take this all away from us somehow and we have to like live every moment we have to drink every bottle of whiskey they give us you know mm, because mm. we're never gonna get it back yeah and then I said around boys and girls I was like uh oh this might last a while like I have to start making different <laughs> choices and so um I started to put myself on a little bit more of a schedule which to this day um probably do the IDS job. I am a very much Monday to Friday with weekends off kind of guy. I think that's right. like, I think that's sort of like joining society in a healthy way. Totally. You know? And I think that, that's another danger of, of being an artist, especially one that tours, just not being able to, you know, not knowing when to switch off, I suppose. Yeah. Or not even literally on tour, not knowing what day it is, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and that's happened, but, but for, you know, I, for me, I find really productive to kind of punch the clock creatively, even mm -hmm. on Monday to Friday, you know, do writing Monday, you know, have a list of things I'm going to do every day. You know, I'm going to get to these projects every week. And yeah. then, you know, I, I even like, you know, like during the pandemic, I've tried to even kind of tighten it up because that's another thing when the days can kind of run, run together. But, you mm -hmm. know, like try to, you know, shave, shave every Monday through Friday, like I'm going to work and then, you know, um, drink you know if you're gonna drink do it on the weekend like yeah. like you know yeah. like like you're because i think you have to take your creativity seriously like a job and even if no one's gonna fire you for not for showing up late you should you should have that respect for yourself or your art or your craft or whatever i wonder if you know if a lot of a lot of artists will go through you know have have fun and look back on it and be like oh fuck you know if i'd have worked if i was working through that i could have 
you know, not wasted that time, I suppose. I mean, it's impossible, isn't it? Yeah. The one thing is sometimes I, I do get, um, like every once in a while, I'll talk to a younger person. Uh, sometimes it's like friends, kids, and they're like, well, you know, I don't want to go to school. I just want to write songs or I, I don't want to get it, you know? And it's like, mm. oh man, you, you can write songs, like no matter what else is going on. Like you, mm. and you have to like live, you have to have experiences. I think that, you know, um, there's a lot of characters I've met at IDS that I just want to been in my life. Um, uh, if I would have just hung around with band people. So I think yeah. that you, you have to like, I don't think like keeping a totally open schedule is good for creativity. <laughs> I think like, you know, um, even if you had an hour a day, you could really write a lot in that hour. Actually, there are going to be, you know, pressures, what ifs, you know, throughout your career as an artist. I mean, mm -hmm. how have you, have you, what methods have you, you know, been able to harness to, you know, stop that anxiety, maybe whatever you want to call it from creeping in? I think just moving forward and like, I'm always trying to create, you know, like, like, I mean, the whole study has 120 songs now that we play a lot that like are in our live thing. Great. And that's, I look back on that and say like, I'm good. That's a good work ethic. I mean, every I, working through everything is, is the idea. I mean, like keeping putting, you know, that's one of the reasons I put out solo albums is because I want to just keep working and keep looking at things differently. And right. um, sometimes the band, you know, like with di different people at different places, you know, it's like, well, I can always work on that, you know, if the, and uh, so I think just pushing forward and, understanding that something's hit and something's miss, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. um, my favorite sport is baseball. They play 162 games a year and you just can't win all those, you know, it's a lot, and, isn't it? yeah, it's tons. So, but if you win a hundred, that's great. I yeah. mean, and so that's kind of how you got to look at it. I mean, it's, it's coming out next year will be 10 years since your first debut record. I remember seeing you at rough trade and, um, you know, you did a beer with Signature Brew who sponsored this podcast, or I should say they're the official beer of this podcast. Right on. That's the line. Uh, but I remember, you know, seeing you play around then and thinking, you know, that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a consummate artist, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, did it I mean, feel like that? I got there, you know, I, and I think the solo stuff has really helped me wrap my head around some of that, you know? Mm, um, mm. And, and like how much I want to work and like, you know, maybe, um, uh, how, yeah, how much I'm willing to kind of work around and, and, um, and, and I guess a comfortable of being at times a leader, you know, because yeah. like with the solo stuff, you're putting together these bands, sometimes people you don't know that well. And, you know, you, it's not always the same band. Sometimes that one guy can't do it, the tour or whatever. So you sub in. And sort of being like that, that person, um, mm. being comfortable with that. And I, I think that that's taught me a lot and also taught me a lot about myself, you know, and, um, you know, I know like the last three records, I've solo records I made with Josh Kaufman and, um, he, that's cool. you know, when I first, uh, when I first met him with him, I brought in my, you know, my songs that I was working on and he told me like more recently that like, like no one brings in that much work. <laughs> like they were just like, <laughs> papers spilling out of folders you know and he was like that's not like you know you, you had a lot and uh and that makes me feel good that makes me feel like i'm doing my job 
I love Bonnie Light Horseman. Oh my God. What a beautiful record. So good, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, being in a, being in a group, I mean, you mentioned there, you know, you, 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 you maybe you learned more so to be a leader. Did it, did you not feel like the leader in Hold no. Steady? No, I, and I, I, I wouldn't want to say that what I, but, but, a, but a band is, you know, is a democracy that sometimes needed to leaders step up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's a very tricky, um, thing because a band is, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of undefinable, um, the type of arrangement. I always say that like, if someone had a, a MBA, like a business student came in and he analyzed a band, he'd be like, this is never going to work. You know, there's no, right. there's no hierarchy there's, but, but there sort of is, there's usually a de facto persons and, you know, so some, you know, with the hold steady you know, sometimes I'll say, Hey guys, let's talk about this. We need to talk about when are we going to record, you know, like yeah. what, but, but everyone's um, vision is important. We're in the solo thing, you know, I do some of that, but it's also, it's, it's, you know, the members change. So it's really my, my vision and, and what I want to do. I'm not sort of responsible for people when we're not right we're not or whatever, you know? I mean, that's such a difficult thing in a, in a group, right? Because, you know, being re- responsible for one or another, you know, you can, un- you know, I'm sure at times you have felt responsible for the others and them Abs- of you maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, you say like, you know, but I think with the hold steady, we've kind of, um, we've sort of changed the way we do things and we, we, we don't go out on like those month long tours and we tend to do more like residencies where we go to, yeah. you know, pick a city and play three nights in a row. And that's really for where we're at now been, been, not only better, but just invigorating. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I think like so much has changed even in our time as a band, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. around boys and girls in America, you'd get checks from the label, like, you know, records were selling, you know, CDs at that time. And, and that's eliminated. So like, you have to expect that you're some part of the, the band thing is going to evolve too. And right. for us, that that doesn't mean like driving around the country for a month and rolling into places, small Midwestern cities on a Monday night. Yeah, that's yeah. you know that's not that's not what we're gonna do. And um, I don't. It does not make us any less of a band. It's just like we know where our fans are, and we're gonna play. You know, we're gonna play for them. And I think paying attention to that, the supply and demand, is important. And to to go to go to where the demand is. Um, which in our case is generally bigger cities is London three nights. Was it two nights? Around at three a- nights in London. Awesome. Um, and uh, at the, at the, um, uh, what is it called? Electric ballroom. Yeah. And we've done that, that three years in a row. And this year was our fourth. We did, um, we obviously didn't do it cause it was just <laughs> two weeks ago, but uh, it, we did do um, a live stream from here in Brooklyn that we went on at 3 PM to time it for the, uh, the London folks and the European folks. Um, so three feet I'm here. So yeah, I mean that, and that remains uh, a amazing part of our audience and, and the community of the band. And um, I think that's the thing is like, like with technology and with, you know, our modern conveniences, our modern stuff, we can, we know where our fans are more than mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And we can kind of target, like, you know, we can get music to them, but also we can figure out what the best place is for us to play and how to, how to spend our time. Is it like seasonal in the way that, you know, you'll have an on season where like the band is go, whether you're writing, recording or, or touring and there, and there'll be, a, there will be specified kind of downtimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's usually, so what we do, we kind of actually like set up for um kind of like these posts around the year. 
meaning um, the first weekend of March is always three shows in London. Mm-hmm. And then the first weekend in December, um, or like the weekend after our Thanksgiving, is always uh, what we call Massive Nights. And that's four shows at the Brooklyn Bowl. And then we do um, what we call Constructive Summer, which is like um, usually four different weekends um, of three shows each. In uh, And that those cities change. So yeah, yeah. each, each summer. So, and that goes from like roughly May to September. So, um, so yeah. And, and then, you know, recording, we fit around there. So we do about, I don't know, 25 shows a year, um, Great. which is, you know, not, not, a, it won't break your back, but it's, it's like, it's plenty. And nowadays more people, you know, because we do these, a lot more people travel to us. And I think that's probably, you know, that allows us to sort of celebrate the community around the band by getting larger groups of people together and maybe having people go to multiple shows, you know, yeah. Um, with 120 songs, we can play way different sets every night. And um, that's really satisfying. Open door policy. It's so good, Craig. It's, it's, sa- it's so fucking great. Um, you know, I love the artwork. Everything about it is, is awesome. And, you know, I, I wonder, you know, in, in, in a career such as yours, you know, are you always kind of learning something about yourself, learning something new? Yeah, you would hope. <laughs> you know, you're always seeking out growth in some way. And mm. uh, in this case, you know, with Open Door Policy, I think the growth was just truly musical. Um, I, you know, uh, it was, it's weird because it's our eighth album. And, you, you know, you, it's, you wouldn't think a band's eighth album would always feel really special, but this one does. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I and, agree. Uh, it does feel special. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons is Franz, our piano player left for a while and he came back and it was mm-hmm. a few years ago, mm-hmm. but when Franz was gone, we had, um, we replaced him or, you know, subbed in a guy named Steve Selvage playing guitar. And so now they're, they're both there, you know, it's yeah. now it's all hands on deck. It's sort of yeah. a super steady or uh, yeah. 3.0 or whatever you want to say. And I think over the past few years, the way they've kind of learned to sort of play with each other and against each other has taken the band to um, a new height musically and somewhere new. And that's amazing. Um, and so, I mean, I think to a man, we are all so excited to put this record out in the world. I mean, the record sounds like, you know, there was fire in the room when you were writing it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we got something. There, there, everyone was bringing in cool stuff. And I think that maybe um, as, you know, as we've gotten older, there's, a, there's just like an appreciation for everyone. You know, appreciation, like everyone's really happy to be. And we aren't exhausting ourselves by going into these small Midwestern cities on Monday nights, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's always fresh and we're always keeping it fresh. And, um, uh, and also I think that it was our last record thrashing through the passion was kind of a collection of singles. Um, so this one by saying like, we're going to write an album, it may have played to some of our strengths. I know as a lyricist, it's fun for me to kind of like, draw out themes over the course of these 10 or 11 songs. And I think it was fun to think that way again, um, in a way you don't when you're just making singles. Thanks so much for, for being up for this, Craig. You know, I've been a fan for a a long, long time. Actually, you're probably one of the first people I tried to interview for a a student magazine when I was about 15 and it didn't happen, but I'm so glad, you know, 15 years (laughs) later it's happening. Well, thanks so much. It was actually, it was really a pleasure. Awesome. I mean, you know, just to end with, 
um, you know, you've got those 25 show, you know, you've got those set out shows that are, ha- that are happening, you know, other than solo stuff, do you, uh, is there anything else that you tend to, you know, that your mind is kind of drawn towards? Yeah. I mean, I've been writing in, in other forms more nowadays. So, um, I've had some, I've had a few TV gigs, um, nothing that's been made, but you know, things I've been paid for Great. and writing uh, for TV. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, and, um, you know, just little things, but, but, you know, and always trying to just write, but, um, between the business of the band, I mean, even though we only do 25 shows, it feels like the business of the band is, um, is always sprawling and there's always things coming up. And, uh, and then, uh, and then the solo thing, which is, so you know, always creates me. And then I write a lot of songs that, that no one ever hears too. So it's always that. What what do you do with those songs? Do you, do you iPhone demo them or? Yeah. Yeah. And usually there's sort of a two, um, a two part thing there. Like there's the first sort of blast of writing the song Mm -hmm. and then there's putting it aside. And then there's the the second part where I kind of decide whether it's worth pursuing and try to make it better. Yeah. And so some may, some sort of fail that, that test of, of the pursuit. Right. Um, right. And, and, and they go sort of into the scrap pile. All part of the process. Yeah, exactly. Every day's success, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that. Yeah. No, to- I mean, it sounds like I'm being a bit sarcastic there, but I, I really, I do mean it. It's the, it's the breadcrumb trail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, again, like it's, it's building a catalog that's become really important to me. And I, as I, as a music fan, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, things like as I get older, I'm, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I, I like new music, you know, band comes out with their first album. It's cool. It's like, but like, um, I'm really interested in things like, you know, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, the Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. things that have like sort of ultimate, like, you know, you can just Neil Young, you can just go in and get lost in how much content there is yeah. and see how songs have developed in different eras of that artist, etc. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I mean, you know, that's what you are to so many people. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. So that was Craig Finn on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Thank you for listening. Do go and check out the book that I've just announced at 101parttimejobs.com. Of course, you've already heard Open Door Policy and you all know how amazing it is. Maybe you should go and listen to that again right now. Have a great day. Here's Coxbarrow. I've been working all day, got me mate on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.